While God created the world, the morning stars sang together. After God delivered Israel through the Red Sea, Moses and Miriam led the people in singing. God destroyed Israel's enemies under King Jehoshaphat while the choir sang. When Jesus was born, the angels sang, and before going to the cross, he sang. God rejoices over us with singing, and one of the only things we know for certain that everyone will be doing in heaven is singing. At New St. Andrews College, we understand that music is not an elective. It is central to our being and identity. We endeavor to train all our students in a joyful and robust musical literacy that will help them shape culture in a Christ-like direction wherever they go. Additionally, we offer the Certificate of Music in conjunction with our bachelor's degree in liberal arts and culture for students who desire extra music training beyond the regular music courses they will take as a part of the core curriculum. In the certificate program, you won't simply appreciate music or listen to it or talk about it. You will do music. You will study it, analyze it, read it, write it, sing it, and play it. You will receive private instruction in your primary instrument as well as secondary lessons in voice, piano, conducting, and other instruments. You will receive a solid foundation in music theory and analysis. You will study music history, church music, and music pedagogy. And when you graduate, you will leave with the ability to sing, play, understand, and steward music in whatever church or community you plant yourself. I'm Dr. David Erb, and this is the Certificate of Music at New St. Andrews College. Good. Hey y'all, welcome back from Thanksgiving break. It's Monday evening. Good to be with you on Cross Politic. Pastor Toby Chuck Knox on hey. the water boy. Every once in a while we get a nice little uh, gift in the mail. Yeah. And and this particular gift uh, actually came with a sweet little letter I have to read. I have oh, to read. Just, okay. just real quick. This is from a youngin. We love it. Thank you for doing what you do. I enjoy spending time with my dad listening and watching Cross Politic. Mm. I also really love going to your conferences. Last year, I met a friend, and we are now pen pals. Yes. I oh, love wow. that. Yes. And we are writing an adventure story together. <laughs> awesome. Maybe maybe if they finish that adventure story, we have them both come on the show. Yeah, and Canon Press is going to publish it. Happy Thanksgiving. <laughs> Merry Christmas. Uh, and, then, and then they also sent us uh, this some pictures. fantastic. Some art. That, look at the American flag. Yep. It's smaller than the cross. <laughs> right? That's right. You, you got the spirit of it. Getting into um, this is more, more impressionist art. This is kind of more <laughs> where I'd, I'd be at. Here you go, Peter. Just for you. Just so you can see that. Um, and then we got uh, some more impressionist yeah, yeah. you know you know art yeah. and everything yeah. and so just just look sweet but what they did was they supplied us with some uh beer for our next uh beer and song oh, uh, hey, oh nice. praise go. god look at these go. these I kids know. can buy beer at this age huh <laughs> what state are they from they, yeah. wow <laughs> <laughs> i hey. like this they must not well, be in america oh my goodness this looks good wow fremont i'm in spice wars barrel aged dark oh my goodness star Man, that sounds. Wow. We all got our own too. Dangerous. Wow. I'm not sharing. Hey, is your smartphone a tool in the service of Christ or a minefield of distractions and temptations with soul-killing seductions just a few taps away? Our families and churches must embrace biblical accountability on our digital devices. Accountable to you makes transparency easy on all your family's devices by sharing app usage and detailed browsing history, including incognito mode with your spouse, parent, or chosen accountability partner. Accountable to you, that's the word accountable, the number two and then the word you, helps your family to proactively guard against temptation so you can live with integrity for God's glory. Learn more and try it for free 
at accountabletoyou.com slash FLF. The International Man. The International Man. Is here. He's back. He's back. The International Man's back. Peter Hitchens, an English author, broadcaster, journalist, and commentator. He writes for the Mail on Sunday and was a foreign correspondent reporting from both Moscow, Russia, and Washington, D.C., Hitchens has contributed to The Spectator, The American Conservative, The Guardian, First Things, Prospect, The New Statesman, and from time to time, you can find him on CrossPolitik. He has published numerous books, including The Abolition of Britain, The Rage Against God, The War We Never Fought, and The Phony Victory. His new book, out just, I don't know, recently, A Revolution Betrayed, How Egalitarianism Wrecked the British Education System. Peter, thank you for coming back on CrossPolitik. Well, it's a real delight. Um, now, uh, Peter, my amazing American instincts. Oh, boy. Okay. Um, <laughs> it, it seems to me. All right. On a serious note, actually. On a serious note. It seems to me that the death of the queen um, is really kind of the last vestige of, of Christendom for Great Great Britain. Is that is that off or is that going down the right path and thinking? Well, it's taking a, a bit too far and making the thing a bit complete, which Will probably not be complete. We don't. We do things by halves in this country, and, and always have done. But it's certainly a step away from the Christian past. Uh, I think that the the real test will be in our coronation service, which is what your presidential inauguration is a feeble copy of. Uh, <laughs> fundamental uh, affirmation of the the Christian nature of our state. And it's extraordinary. So it's, you can read it. You can, you can, I think, watch it quite easily now. It was recorded beautifully in color in 1953. But you can read the service on the Internet. And it's fascinating how very Christian it is in its character. It is the last coronation service in the world. Uh, the, the others the, where there are monarchies elsewhere, they do not have them. Hmm. And it's, it was an extraordinary event in 1953 in which, as I say, the Christian nature of the realm was absolutely affirmed without any uh, any hesitation at all and we will have another coronation next year in which i don't think the the, the christian nature of the realm will be anything like so strongly stressed mm. so it's a, a definite step away quite a lot of us i don't know how many of you watched or how much you managed to watch of the the, the funeral of the queen but there was a moment in the second part of the funeral at windsor where the the, the symbols of, of kingship the orb and the scepter were removed from the queen's coffin and for me, that gave me quite an unexpected chill down the spine because those were the symbols, particularly the orb, the, the, the symbols of, of her, her Christian rule. And as long as she was there, and as long as they were connected to her, then that still seemed to be going on. But at the moment when they were removed from the coffin, it seemed to me that was the, the actual legal end of the period during which I've lived most of my life. Actually, I can now say I've lived under three monarchs. I was born under, in, in the reign of King George VI, so this is my second king. Uh, but most of my life has been lived under, under Queen Elizabeth, and that, the beginning of that reign was, as I say, an extraordinary, extraordinary, very uh, powerfully, definitely Christian moment, which I don't think the country would even want to repeat as it is now. So it's not all lost. There's still a lot to go. As Adam Smith said, there's a lot of ruin in a nation, huh. uh, but that doesn't mean that there isn't a lot of damage done. So uh, what would you want the world to know about about the queen? Why was the queen such an uh, amazing queen? What, you know, especially, you know, you're talking Americans here. What would you want us to know? 
while she lived, I was often a critic of her. It seemed to me that she had, she obviously, having no real constitutional power, I've often compared the the current British monarchy to the king on a chessboard. Uh, No real power in and of itself, except to prevent other people from occupying the same square, to prevent politicians from from seeking adulation, for instance, and worship, uh, which it, it quite effectively has done, hmm. uh, but not really able to do much. Occasionally, I think it's it's just possible for a monarch to block or head off uh, political actions that he or she disapproves of, but very rare in modern times. I don't think she ever did. So we knew that she was powerless in that sense, but I thought sometimes she came out in public to endorse things which she, she would have better off stay quiet about. A certain amount of sympathy expressed for multiculturalism, which I don't think has been good for our country, a certain amount of sympathy expressed both in words and in behaviour uh, for what I regard as the surrender this country made to the terrorists of the Irish Republican Army. Uh, you, you might, I, many people say it was necessary, I, I dispute that, but it, it didn't seem to me to be necessary for the monarch to make a public declaration of support for the agreement which followed, or necessarily to have for a white tie dinner in Windsor Castle uh, Martin McGuinness, the leader of one of the world's worst terrorist factions. I think it went too far. And uh, those are a couple of points which I would say that she, she went too far. I wasn't by any means an open-mouthed admirer of the last moment. Uh, but she wrote, her problems reflected the problems of a, of a country which is seriously going wrong. There seems to be some concern about the the new monarch concerning the issues of globalism um are you seeing that as well being a concern over there i'm looking from over here i'm hearing i'm reading and it's hard to know what's really happening on the ground the real concerns of the people over there well i don't really know either i i think the problem with charles has been that he has embraced a number of causes which he thinks good uh the one which he's he's become very wedded to is the one of of, uh, man-made global warming Mm. And I would myself say that that was a disputed position which it was perfectly reasonable for people to contest and that his embrace of it and his continued embrace of it since he came to the throne uh, has, has rather unbalanced politics in the country. A lot of other institutions have done the same and the British Broadcasting Corporation has pretty much ruled that there's no further argument to be had over it. <laughs> And, and therefore, they don't really permit arguments to take place over it. It's um, to, to me also the, the green issue is, in many ways, a secular religion, the one which operates mm. in competition with Christianity in our society, and one which it might be wise to be a bit more careful with. That that's certainly one thing that, that quite a lot of conservatives would say uh, in criticism of Charles. He's a likable person. Uh, he's not. Um, it, it, it's not that. Nor is he particularly un, unpopular. He could, I don't think, ever attain the popularity which his mother achieved largely as a result of living for such a long time. But uh, I'm, I'm loath to criticise him because he is my king. But on that issue, and I think on probably a number of others as well, if I if I dredge through his public statements, he's veered away from the old doctrine of, of monarchical impartiality, where the monarch simply doesn't make pronouncements on contentious issues. And by saying that he has a view on an issue, he, he pretty much declares that it's not contentious. 
Uh, and that, for those of us who think that it is contentious, is a bit of a blow. Yeah. Yeah. What, what, what's your take on uh, this? Is a little off off track here, but like no, he just Ep- jumped all over on, you. Yeah. Oh, wow. on, okay. on Epstein and Prince Andrew and kind of that whole crazy thing. Tabloids. I have nothing what I would say about that. <laughs> I, mean, I really, I know nothing about it. Yeah. And I really, it, okay. it's just, it, it's just a, a complete. Uh, it, it's a it, it's a swamp with a minefield in it. And my general view when I see a minefield is is to go the other way, and likewise a swamp. And if I see a swamp and a minefield, then I, I go the other way. <laughs> That's good. Not Gabe. Yeah. Gabe no, swims yeah. in those things, man. As, uh, Peter, as you're talking about um, you know the the Queen's coronation and then the potential of what we might be seeing here um, in a few months with the King. Um, and how Christian that that coronation uh, service was for the Queen. Uh, it reminds me of of so, uh, one of the uh, well, one of the minefields actually here going on in the states right now is um, accusations and uh, controversy surrounding the phrase Christian nationalism. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how much you follow or have heard this, but le- leftists uh, you know smear anyone right of Elon Musk you know as a Christian <laughs> nationalist. And then you've got some real crazies on the far right who are taking up the term in uh, various you know racist ways and so forth. Uh, but, but are you a Christian nationalist? Should we be Christian nationalists? What do you have to say? I, I've always accepted George Orwell's separation between nationalism and patriotism. The, the, the nationalist is an, a, an aggressive promoter of his country. A, a patriot is someone who loves his country. So I'm a patriot. Not a nationalist, and I wouldn't ever want to be a nationalist. But Christian nationalism sounds to me; uh, it has a it has a strong whiff of of certain people in France in the 1930s who don't appeal to me very much. Mm-hmm. Uh, who en- ended up some of them forming a constellation around Marshal Petain. So, you know, absolutely, it wouldn't it, it wouldn't ever appeal to me as a, a as an idea. Uh, I, so I tend to think that the, the, the love of country is one thing, but uh, an aggressive promotion and expansionist view of one's country is another thing altogether. Yeah. Um, so you've had three prime ministers. Is that right? In the yeah. last six months? What? I, 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 I've lost count. I think you'll probably have to tell me their names. <laughs> <laughs> what? What's going on? What is going on is, is apart from anything else, it's, it's the dissolution of the Conservative Party, okay. which has for many years had no true reason for existing except pursuit of office, oh. uh, which had pulled, pulled itself apart in many, many ways since the uh, very unwise referendum we held over the European Union, which created a two rival uh, democratic mandates in the country. The, the, the elected parliament, the tr- traditional supreme uh, body of, of, of our state, and then the the referendum majority for leaving the European Union, which I have to say most members of Parliament didn't accept. Uh, I, 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 we could go into this if you want to, but yeah. bound to produce a constitutional crisis, it duly did. And because the Conservative Party was in office at the time, that constitutional crisis made itself most painfully felt within the Conservative Party, which was divided and had leaders who didn't necessarily have the support of their members. And so we went through uh, David Cameron, who resigned after the referendum went against his advice, a <coughs> foolish thing. Uh, Theresa May, who was just simply ineffectual, uh, and then Alexander, so-called Boris Johnson, who by uh, 
by, by, by a sort of circus act of constantly keeping all the balls spinning in the air at once and riding his tricycle along the tightrope while waving his arms about nice to distract the country from the problems it faced. And then eventually he fell off uh, for, for reasons largely unconnected with politics. And then he was replaced, replaced by this poor woman who simply, and let's face it, wasn't up to it. Uh, and demonstrate she wasn't up to it with amazing speed, such amazing speed that even even the political world had to admit she wasn't up to it, whereas often people left alone for some time with their incompetence. And she's now being replaced by Rishi Sunak. Yeah. There's one good thing about Rishi Sunak, from my point of view, and it's, it's just, it, it just is a, a, the case, that I, I am rather proud that we have a, a prime minister now who is a, a British person, and he is very British, of Indian origin. I think it's an amazing achievement. Not many countries could have done it. But apart from that, I don't like his politics, and I don't know what he does, but I think that's one good, tiny good thing that's come out of all the rubbish. You, like the, the, the hope at the bottom of Pandora's box. Yeah. The last time we had you on, on the show, you quipped that you thought Boris was smarter than Donald Trump. Do you still think that? Well, it's not a difficult claim to make, is it? <laughs> Well, uh, you I, just you just I compared guess, Boris to the circus. I guess I mean, if Boris I, is the circus, what is Trump? Well, yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> oh, I, that was a setup. Something at the state fair, I think. But I don't. Um, one of those booths you go into to look at the you know, the, the, the man with three heads, or the um, let's not go into it. But it's not. Um, <laughs> Johnson is cunning. Uh, beyond that, extremely cunning, which is the underestimated talent of, of, of politics. If you don't have it, then you're probably doomed. Trump has it. Trump has it. Uh, princess Diana, the, the late Princess Diana, had it. She ran rings around the royal family and did political establishment. But I think uh, of, of those three, only Johnson could really claim to be educated to a high level and to have the attributes of what educated people would regard as intelligence. Uh, the, the other two were just cunning. Uh, and it's an interesting lesson that, in, that you shouldn't necessarily overrate academic achievement and degrees and good educations in mm. one of the policies. There are other things which make people very capable of, of rising to the top. But is it the thing you want to rise to the top of? Right. Mm. <laughs> so since Gabe brought up Trump, yeah. um, um, have, have you been paying attention to the fact that he's he's announced that he's running for re-election over here? And, and, um, yes, I have. And again, I think although the idea seems ludicrous to me, everything about him has always seemed ludicrous to me. And yet people vote for him in their millions and turn out great rallies to cheer him and, and believe that he will bring good things to them. And I, I can't fight that just by saying, well, actually, none of the facts that we know suggest any of this is true. <laughs> uh, and it, it's a wholly irrational set of beliefs. But the, 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 there is a way in which some people connect with the, the, a large part of the population, which we can't really fathom. Uh, it happens accidentally. Television has, of course, made it far, far worse. Right. Yeah. What's, what's your take on our... I'm sorry. No, no, go ahead, go ahead. I mean, just in general, um, Biden is president doing his thing, trying to form sentences, um, you know, uh, when he gives complete sentences, complete sentences. Um, We we were kind of a number of people were braced for, you know, sort of a a conservative resurgence, a red wave of sorts in our midterms. It didn't materialize. 
um, at all. What, what, what is your take just generally on what, what what's going on here in the States? But it could be managed expectations, couldn't it? I, the, the liberal left could have, could have been raising the, the possibility of a great resurgence among Republicans hmm. uh, to make it likely to happen. Yeah. And the, the other things could be going on as well. And Trump support might be simultaneously hardening and narrowing. So those who are enthusiastic about him are more enthusiastic than ever, but there are fewer of them. Yeah. And his ability to carry people on his coattails seems to me to be definitely in doubt. And the thing about Joe Biden, who, I mean, again, he wouldn't become president if there was nothing appealing about him. Right. Uh, but a lot of that appeal lies in his past. And it seems to me that he, he he's retained the White House so far uh, by really not being anything at all much. Yeah. Uh, by, yeah. by not, by, and I think maybe that, that could continue. Uh, I once came up with a theory for the British monarchy that probably the best thing to do to avoid all these terrible problems we have with the individuals who become kings and queens and princes and princesses uh, was not to have any of them at all, but to say that we had a monarchy, but just for the moment the post was vacant yeah. and all the medals and everything else would be dished out by some, some retired civil servant. Uh, and the, 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 it simply didn't exist. And in some ways, that, that um, it, it might be a good idea if the American presidency took a break. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll take advice from you guys pretty soon. I mean, if the choice was between that and another Healy Long, what would you do? Oh, you know, Peter, I want to ask you, watching this last midterm, one of the things that I saw here was that it seemed that conservative ideas – conservative thinking wasn't something that was wanting to be accepted in the general public anymore. And I wonder from where you're sitting at, you're Mr. International, you watch everything that's happening around the world. Do you think that conservative thinking and ideas are something that the general people don't want to embrace anymore? Or have we lost any foundation in communicating these ideas to, to society? I have a great difficulty here because an English conservative is a very different thing from an American conservative. Right. Um, my my conception has has roots in amongst other things monarchy and and Anglican Christianity. American conservatism has very different roots, and it's much less English as well than, than, than English for, for the obvious reason that a lot of people who embrace it are not of English uh, descent or background. So I don't really feel qualified to say. I think certainly that the Trump presidency uh, and indeed the whole Tea Party episode and the uh, the unfortunate George W. Bush period, has done great damage to that part of conservatism, which had quite a lot to do with evangelical Christianity. Yep. Uh, Iraq, I think, dealt a terrible blow to it. And this, there's a gradual receding as a result. And, and, and what you see is by Trump was a, a false door for a lot of people. He was not really conservative. I don't think there's anything conservative about him. Actually, he's a, he's a populist uh, of, a, of a very um, un, ultimately unpolitical type. And, but a lot of conservatives placed faith in him, as they do, as they placed faith in Ronald Reagan in, in, in your country and Margaret Thatcher in mine, when neither of them were conservatives either. Hmm. So, conservatism as a, as a political belief is, 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 is confined really to a pretty small number of people. Well, that's the way it feels to me, as I'm one of them, hmm. uh, in either your country or mine. Uh, it sometimes meshes for a short while with other wider movements, but they tend to be mostly about things like high taxation and federal interference and the power of the, the power of the state, uh, or the, the uh, 
what people perceive as betrayals by the state, such as the destruction of home industry by uh, by EV imports and the the abandonment of the protection of, uh, of American industry, and also the the, the abandonment of what I believe is called the Treaty of Detroit, the old deal under which the the American industrialized working classes got a reasonable standard of living, uh, provided they uh, didn't go on strike too much, uh, which pretty much folded up during the Reagan years and has never been replaced by any other social contract. So I don't know whether conservatism really has ever had much to do with it. Conservatives have sometimes ridden on sort of a wave, uh, but it, it wasn't a conservative wave. And when it falls, it, it, then they, they wouldn't have lost anything significant because it wouldn't have ever carried them to conservatism. Interesting. Mm, Interesting. So, so things have kind of gone on pretty much normal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I no, no. It's because what happened, there, there, there is a constant... Uh, upward and forward movement by the cultural and moral left. And one of the ways in which this is symbolized is the, the relentless advance of the legalization of marijuana, which is not just a, a little thing. It's a change in the nature of society. It's a move towards that mm. society that will warned against in Brave New World, where men will come to love their own servitude. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's not just it's not just over a few growers and a, 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 a few dope smokers. It's a complete and utter alteration in society and of course basically casting aside of all remaining notions of Protestant self-discipline uh, and, uh, and and deferred gratification uh, in, in favor of a world of uh, immediate pleasure and of un- unearned reward uh, it's huge and people don't fully see it for the for the thing that it is yeah mm. wow okay really quickly I need to tell everybody if you're not yet a Fight Laugh Feast Club member, um, this is a great time to join uh, because we actually have a Christmas special. So if you sign up oh, for really? um, gold and above, you'll you'll get we'll be able to advertise it here pretty soon. What we're actually no. doing, but you'll be on the list. That's, that's not what I was going to say. The next seventy five, but there is that as well. Members. But yeah. I was just I was just saying this is a great time to join because um, we 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 got our work to do. Uh, yeah. By joining yeah, the Fight Laugh right. Feast Army, not only will you be aiding in our fight to take down secular and legacy media, but you also get access to content placed in our club portal, such as past shows, all our conference talks, and exclusive content for club members that you won't be able to find anywhere else. Lastly, you always get discounts at our conferences. So if you haven't yet joined, consider it today. Sign up at fightlaughfeast.com. Peter, um, the last time we had you on was actually to discuss Brexit. Where's Where is Brexit even at? Is it ever going to happen? Well, that depends on how you define it. And it, 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 at the moment, I've always said that we would end up moving from being half in the European Union to being half out of it. <laughs> uh, but at the moment, it's something like that, in that Northern Ireland, which is part of the United Kingdom, is still effectively in part of the European Union. <laughs> to avoid another conflict, uh, which would otherwise break out, I don't know how that it's it's one of those very clever knots I, which I don't know how to undo. And basically, the the campaign to leave the European Union, which I was sort of part of before the referendum, though I was never keen on the referendum, I didn't take part in it or vote in it, uh, was an attempt to get back our national independence, our control over our own lawmaking, particularly, which was for me vital because yeah, one of the things that makes Britain, and particularly England, what it is, has always been its particular form of law, which is quite separate from anything on the continent of Europe, and quite distinct, for instance, from Roman law, 
and the, if you became a member of an enormous federation of nations, all of which had some form of Roman law or something like it, and you were the only one with a common law a jury trial system, for instance, then it's inevitable that your system would give in to the other one and you would eventually become part of them. And I thought this had to be prevented. I would have made very large compromises to achieve it. And the economic aspects of the European Union, it seemed to me, we more or less had already signed up to and getting out of them that caused immense problems, which it has. And of course, the, the radical uh, anti-EU people regard me as a traitor for saying this. Because for them, everything outside the European Union is, is, is sunny and the birds sing and it's lovely and everything inside the European Union is terrible. Because <laughs> everybody talking about politics or economics knows that that can't be true. There were advantages from being in the European Union and there are advantages of being outside parts of it. I, it but it becomes very technical. I have to discuss things like the customs union and the single market. Uh, there is a country which has actually got a very good deal out of the European Union, which is Norway, mm. uh, which is in single market and therefore has very free moved goods, uh, but is not subject to the European Court of Justice and all kinds of other European interference. It pays quite substantial sums to the European Union in subscriptions, but it doesn't pay the full national dues which uh, which full members do. And the result in Norway is, is actually a very successful economy in a country which maintains its independence. Some of they value very highly because they only very recently got it. And then soon after they got it, it was snatched away from them by a German invasion. So they're, they're sensitive on the subject, and that's one of the reasons why they stayed outside. But they've got a good deal, a better one than we got. Mm. And I, I feel if, if we worked towards something along those lines, it would make everybody a lot happier. But for the moment, emotions are still very high. And what I've just said is virtually regarded as treachery by those who would uh, who, 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 who wished to leave in the first place. And not even uh, the people who wanted to stay don't even hear it. They don't understand their own divisions among those of us who were in favor of leaving. And what's happened is that the leaving campaign has been taken over largely by economic, uh, economic liberals who want Britain to be totally open to, to, to global trade under all circumstances. And Singapore on Thames is the description they like to go for. And I'm not at all in favor of that. I think there are a lot of, I, I'm ultimately a protectionist, like many conservatives. And I think that if, if you go global and make yourself completely open to trade from all around the world, you will destroy a lot of your own agriculture and a lot of your, mm. your own industry as a result of greatly of your own country. Mm. Mm. I don't think people even understand that yeah. very well. That's actually really important. Yeah. But before we let you go, can I ask you one more question, Peter? Sure. I want to ask you about China right now, because two years ago, China looked a lot different. It had all the components set up. But right now, if you look online, look on Twitter, Facebook, social media, you see a bunch of people now, especially in Beijing, fighting against some of the COVID lockdowns. Um, I kind of want to know your take on that. And do you expect that to even make its way to the West. I wouldn't have thought that we would have had people masking two years ago, forced inside of their homes. But that well, happened uh, in the West. But you think that's coming here lot, too? A lot of the actions imposed in Britain were basically inspired by the, the, the communist Chinese state, and it, it was particularly after the Great Panic over Italy. And it, it's, it's historically recorded how certain people saw what was going on in China and thought, can we do that here? Mm. And they thought, and they did, and, and the, the shocking thing is that they, they got away with a great deal. And of course, nothing like the scale that it's on in China, because China already had uh, both a, 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 a terroristic police state and a, and a gulag uh, and a, 
a, a very, very serious level of surveillance, which doesn't exist here, and also not even the, the flicker of an independent, uh, independent media or political opposition. Yeah. There was a tiny amount of that in my country, and it, it, I think it, it did keep alive hope amongst our people. And also there were a number of intelligent people in the state structure who I think didn't take full advantage of the powers that they'd been given. I think a lot of our police forces, though some of them behave very badly, were, were quite carefully restrained in what they did in, in using the powers that they had, which was a good thing. Uh, so it wasn't it, to say that it was like China would be a ridiculous exaggeration. Uh, I don't know how, how, if any of you have been to, to the People's Republic of China. I, for some years before about 2010, I went quite a lot, and I had some very interesting visits. I found it completely terrifying. Mm. Uh, reason one if it carried on succeeding it was terrifying because the, the world would then be threatened by a, a superpower which had no interest in human liberty whatsoever uh, and if it failed it would be terrifying because the, the economic and political disaster would which would result from a chinese failure would be would be awful for the not merely for the immediate region around but for the world as a whole and for its economy so there's nothing good about it and the vastness and huge power of it it, it was uh, almost diabolical in its strength and I just, I, I just would stop walking down the streets of, of the, the new Shanghai and gasp at the, the scale of what I was seeing. Uh, but also the, the, the state, it is a terrifying police state. And those people who are bravely out on the streets now holding up their black sheets of paper, uh, it, it, they, the Chinese state is like a cat. It watches. And as soon as they're out of the cameras shot, uh, those people are very likely to be arrested and carted off, and in some cases never to be seen again. Wow. And there is a huge night and fog in the, in the Chinese system to which people can completely disappear. You can be arrested and, and nobody knows what's become of you. And I don't know what the response of Xi Jinping's state is going to be to this, but I, I would fear it. Uh, they're not going to sit and allow themselves to be overthrown. And you remember in the days of Deng Xiaoping, the, the response to attempts to obtain political freedom in Tiananmen Square was totally violent. I always think it's a fascinating contrast that the West's attitude to China, which when faced with dissent, uh, murdered the dissenters with, with tanks and, and guns in, in the streets of its capital. And China is, became as a welcome partner in the, in the growth of the post-1989 world, despite this, this, this this bloodstained record. Uh, whereas, whatever you might want to say about the Soviet Union, it, it gave up power, not totally, but more or less, without a struggle, when it could have massacred its own people, and has been treated with contempt ever since. You, you did wonder exactly what it is that motivates these policies, uh, but there it is. It's, it's a contrast I like to make, because if you remember, in 1989, the people of East Germany were, were doing pretty much what the people of China were doing at the same time. They were pouring onto the streets, demanding their freedom. And there was a serious discussion uh, on the communist side of the world as to whether they should be murdered, and they decided not to murder them. And their reward, as I say, was, was first of all, that their regime fell. Mm. And secondly, that we've treated them like dirt ever since, whereas the Chinese murdered their, 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 their people in their own capital and their welcome guests in our capitals. Wow, wow. I, oh. So I've worked that one out if you can. I can't. Wow. Have, have, is... is if do you see what happened in 2020 2021 with covid in in uh, in england do you see it happening again or has a lesson been learned possibly not in that form i think it would be hard to persuade people again to to, to go through that because it was so unpopular and unpleasant 
Also because quite a lot of our politicians would demonstrate, this is part of the reason for Johnson's fall, would demonstrate not to observe the rules they were, they were trying to impose on others. And I think that's, that's always a way to infuriate a population. But I think that the current, uh, the current pretext or reason, depending on your point of view, for, for a greater narrowing of society and diminution of freedom, speech, thought and everything else, is the war in Ukraine. Mm. Uh, which I very much fear will will drag on in, into some years into the future, and will be a permanent reason for uh, for there to be less freedom. And also, when you're undergoing, as we are, a considerable economic decline, uh, combined with uh, fairly large economic troubles, that again makes people turn towards the government and offer an authority it hasn't previously had and probably shouldn't have. Yeah. Wow, uh, man, that's that's great. That's, <laughs> it's always so encouraging yeah. talking to you, Peter. Where, where can people follow well, you? And have you not heard the phrase "satanic optimism"? <laughs> <laughs> people tell one of the 19th century popes came up with it. He said everybody was going on and on about how the new world of industrialization was was nothing but good. And he said this is ridiculous. You look at this world of. Of, of belching smoke coming out of factories and people being crabbed out, coal mines and living in slums. It? Well, it, of course, it's leading to more wealth, uh, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's leading to to, to, a, to a better, uh, more moral, happier world. And, and to be optimistic about material things is is in a way satanic. I think it's a, it's, a, it's a good point and one to be remembered. It's, Prosperity and, and economic growth are not by themselves guarantees of anything good. That's right. right. Yeah, I That's think right. C.S. Lewis would agree with you. Hey, where where can people read your work at and follow you at, Peter? Well, you can read my work in the in the Mail on Sunday, which is on online um, in two ways. One through through a website called Mail Online, which has was everything from the the papers, which the Daily Mail, the Mail on Sunday, which are sister papers. Uh, then if you want to subscribe, uh, there's Mail Plus. Uh, and then you can also read a lot of what I write on the Peter Hitchens blog, which is easily obtained. But it's probably better to use a, a, a non-Google search engine for it because Google has some weird down on me. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so use another one, it'll come up more readily. And uh, my books are obtainable for the most part uh, through the usual sources. I just say not, not, not through all the good bookshops, which tend not to stop them. Yeah. It's, it's a great shame. I love bookshops, but they're about me. So <laughs> <laughs> Check out the, the new one is a, elsewhere. A, a revolution well, betrayed. I think, I, I think I've now lost count of how many books I've written. I think the one I just published is, uh, is the eighth. Okay. Wow. A revolution. I'm sure I, I, I've caused this confusion partly to myself by changing the titles of some of them. <laughs> <laughs> so it could be 16. <laughs> well, I was trying to tell them a revolution betrayed how egalitarianism wrecked the British education system. I'm looking forward to getting that one in particular. Thank you, Peter, for being on Cross Politic. It's been a joy. Thank you for having me. The international man. <laughs> <laughs> All right. If you're single, get married. If you're married, have you some kids. And if you have kids, go baptize them. Until tomorrow, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Go fight, laugh, and feast. This is Cross Politic. Home. It's where you build your legacy. Where traditions are started, seeds are planted, meals are shared, and stories are told. 
We are Chris and Natalie Carpenter, owners of Story Real Estate, and our team of top agents helps people find homes in Moscow, Idaho, and around the country. Have you thought about a move? Contact us to get connected with a top agent who shares your values and puts your family first. Or reach out to us about our Moscow Relocation Guide. Wherever you're looking to go, we can help you find home. Call us at Story Real Estate or visit us at storyrealestate.com and start building your legacy. Putting off writing that proposal again? Yeah, we've been there. Proposal writing can be tough. It takes work. And if you're not careful, you can set up your company for failure. Well, that's where we come in. Smart Pricing Table is an innovative application that focuses on, well, the pricing table. Instead of a static document and constant back and forth, our platform creates interactive proposals that empower your prospects. Not sure if something is needed? Make it optional. Have complicated services that vary? Let your customer do the work with line item upsells. Have reoccurring services? Easy peasy. With Smart Pricing Table, you can create attractive proposals quickly. And our system is built for reuse, so you can get out of that hamster wheel. Give your customers choice and close deals quickly with Smart Pricing Table.